welcome to church. My name is Pete. If you're visiting with us, an especially warm welcome to you. Uh, if, as Dan mentions, if you've got one of these in your seats, if you're, if you're new to the church or you're, you want to update your details or want to connect with a small group or get involved in serving in a team or ask for a meeting with a pastor or, you know, whatever you want, this is, this is for you. And also, we'd love to hear your feedback. But also, apart from anything, we'd like, we'd like to keep in touch with you. Uh, as the church gets bigger and bigger, uh, we have about 1,200, 1,300 people actively connecting in our church. And the only way it's possible to keep in touch with people and keep updated is to use these little cards. So if you want to uh, find out anything, use them, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Welcome to church. Um, I'm the pastor here at Destiny, and we, it's our joy and privilege every, every week just to gather Look at the Bible and just let it impact our souls. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us. I'm going to ask that God will meet with each one of us where we're at. Father, thank you so much for your love for everyone here. You know us and I know you have a plan for us. God, as we take these moments now to unpack some of the great verses from Matthew chapter 6, I pray that you would actually speak right into our souls. I pray we'd hear your voice. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Envision us with a big vision. And Lord, you know everyone here, maybe tonight there's some people who are not so close to you. And I pray tonight in your love, would you bring them close to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, So there was a Scottish guy and he had a meeting with a plastic surgeon. And he said to the plastic surgeon, I have to be honest with you, I don't think I... I don't want to live any longer without being Irish. And the plastic surgeon said, that's very strange. And he said, I know, but I, you're, the o- you're the only one who can help me. And he said, no, no, you need a psychiatrist. He said, no, no, I've been to all the psychiatrists and they say that you're the only person who can help me. He said, I, I don't want to face another day without being Irish, said the Scottish guy. So the plastic surgeon said, okay, there's one thing we can do and it's very risky. It involves removing one third of your brain so you become more like the Irish it's not my words, it's the plastic surgeon. So the guy said, listen, I'll go for it. I, I, I just really, honestly, I'll do anything. I can't risk another day without being Irish. So he said, okay. So anyway, he went in for this operation. And he has the operation. And he's coming around from the anesthetic in the operating, uh, you know, he's, he's in his bed and everything. The, the, the surgeon comes in looking a bit concerned. And he says, okay, we did the operation. But it, we, we took more of your brain away than we expected. We actually removed half of your brain. And the guy woke up and said, no worries, mate. (laughs) Okay. Jesus also said, don't worry. And that's where we're at in, that was my tenuous link to, but Jesus wasn't Australian. Uh, And Jesus also said that we do not need to worry about life. Worrying about life takes up a lot of our time and it, and it, it actually impacts us very deeply in a negative way. And Jesus very directly said, do not worry about your life. Turn with me to... Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. No worries, mate. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life not more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And yet, 
I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, or you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run for all those things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Wow, amazing words. Okay, I've got three simple points to make to you. Can you guess what point number one is? Point number one is don't. That's right, you know my notes already. Don't worry. Jesus four times in these verses says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. According to Psychology Today, which I know you all read, the main cause of anxiety and worry is uncertainty. Uncertainty about the world. Uncertainty about will I have my job? Uncertainty about my health. Uncertainty about will I have kids? Will I get married? Will I be able to afford this thing? Will, it, will my dreams come true? Uncertainty is the root cause of worrying. And worrying leads to further problems. According to Charles Mayo of the Mayo Clinic, he said, worry affects the circulation of the heart, the glands, and the nervous system. I've never met a man or knew a man who died from overwork, but I know a lot who have died from worry. Corrie ten Boom, who survived the concentration camps of World War II, she said that worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And someone once said that worrying about what hasn't happened yet is like paying a deposit on a house you don't want to live in, in a neighborhood that you hate. And that's what so many people do. They spend their energies worrying about things that never will materialize and they pay a deposit on a house they don't want to live in in a neighborhood they hate. So what's the solution to worry? Well, it's not don't worry, be happy. That's not what Jesus is saying here. You know, don't worry, be happy. That's kind of bury your head in the sands. Just forget your worries, kind of blank it out. Don't think about it. Wash it away. But the reality is, it still is there. There's, it doesn't change the uncertainty. It doesn't change the root issue that causes the worry in the first place. It might give you temporal relief, the kind of burying your head in the sand approach, but it doesn't change the fundamental issue. There is no basis for certainty. Jesus says, do not worry. And what he's saying is this. Most people spend their lives worrying about earthly uncertainties. And they completely ignore eternal uncertainties. The big things. Like, they don't care about, am I secure eternally? Or do I know God? But they're really worried about, oh, will I get married? Or will I get the job I'm looking for? Or will my dreams come true? Or will we be able to afford these things? So Jesus is making the point that we get all worried about earthly uncertainties, but we're not even bothered about eternal uncertainties. And Jesus actually, his solution to dealing with earthly uncertainty is that if you want to live a worry-free life, you've got to settle eternal uncertainties 
and become certain of things that are eternal, like your relationship with God, like heaven itself. And then all of a sudden, you don't need to worry about any earthly uncertainty that comes your way. That's actually what Jesus is teaching right through this whole passage. The verses before this, you remember from previous weeks, if you've been journeying with us, Jesus was saying that you can have two treasures, an earthly one or a heavenly one. You can have two masters, either you serve God or you serve money. And so he's saying, listen, if, you're, if your God is God and your treasure is heaven, you've got those eternal uncertainties are now certain. And therefore you don't need to worry about earthly uncertainties. Paula Zinger is a famous uh, golfer and it's a very successful uh, PGA championship winner. He's also won 10 tournament victories over the years. And at age 33, he was diagnosed with cancer and it did not look good. He wrote at that time, a genuine feeling of fear came over me. I could die. And then another reality hit me even harder. I'm going to eventually die anyway. It's just a question of when. Everything I ever accomplished ever in golf became meaningless to me. All I wanted to do was live. Thankfully, he went on to make a good recovery. And in the process of that, found God. And this is what he said, having, coming to faith, having come to faith in Jesus. He said, I have made a lot of money since I've been on tour. I have won a lot of tournaments, but that happiness is always temporary. It's the only way you can have true contentment is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that nothing bothers me now. I don't, that I don't have problems. But I feel like I found the answer to the six-foot hole. You see, when you get the answer to the six-foot hole, when you understand what it takes to conquer death, have a relationship with God, have eternal life, then sure, you're going to face some challenges. Sure, you might go through some stuff, but it really doesn't impact you as deeply or as fundamentally as it used to because you have a relationship with God. And that's what Jesus is saying. I remember 18 years ago when I got married to Ange, uh, we the first night we stayed in the hotel just in the outskirts of Edinburgh, Angie's parents paid for it. In the morning, there was, it, it, there was a menu in, in the hotel room, and it had a full Scottish breakfast on the menu. And we thought, we're going to order that. So we phoned up and got room service, ordered two massive full Scottish breakfasts, haggis, the whole thing. And we had this breakfast, and then we suddenly noticed on the menu it was 50 quid for the two of us to have this full Scottish breakfast. And like... That's all our spending money on honeymoon. I thought, no, because we were about to drive down to France and we needed the extra money. So we were really worried about, oh no, how are we going to pay for this? So we got down to reception and uh, we were handing our keys in and said, how much do we owe you for? And they said, no, no, it was all paid for in the room. It was already paid for. And I was like, oh wow, I was so relieved. And I think that's what Jesus was saying to these people. He said, you're worried about your clothes. You're worried about how you're going to pay your bills. You're worried about how you're going to make it through. You're worried about how you're going to provide for yourself or is it all going to work out? You're worried about all these things. And they need to to understand within a few months of Jesus saying this, Jesus was about to go to the cross and he was about to pay for it all. He was about to underwrite their eternal security. And not only that, he was about to make provision for every need you would ever need in life and in eternity through his death on the cross. They actually didn't need to worry. It was already paid for. And I just want to make this point tonight. I don't know you all. Maybe tonight you're not yet connected with God. He loves you so much. And when Jesus died on that cross, he actually died for you personally. He took all your sin upon himself and he died in your place. He underwrote your eternity. He underwrote your salvation. 
You don't need to worry in this life or in eternity. You can come to know him. You can have an assurance of his acceptance and have a relationship with God. If that's not where you're at yet, you can be there tonight. He's here. And he loves you more than you will ever know. So this evening, before the end of the service, I will give you an opportunity, if you're not yet connected with God, to pray a very simple but profound prayer that you can trust him, the Savior, and he'll be your Savior, and your life will be changed. So point number one is, don't worry. Point number two is trust God. You see, the root issue behind worrying is actually lack of trust, lack of faith. Let me prove it to you. Verse 30, we just, we just read it a few moments ago. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you, of little faith? Jesus is telling people, don't worry, have faith. You see, the root of worry is little faith. Worry actually is faith going the opposite direction. Faith is trusting God's words and it takes you towards him. Worry is trusting other words that have been going on in your soul. and It's taking you away from God. Worry is faith going in the wrong direction. Worry is convictions of things that are going on in your soul. For example, fears come along and you grab hold of that fear and you start believing a fear. That's called worry. Or a certain sense of uncertainty comes into your heart about an issue. Or you have a memory of something that didn't work out and you think, why do I think it's going to be any better in the future? And there all of a sudden you've got a basis for worry and it's just like faith, just going in the wrong direction. That's the only difference. Worry is faith going in the wrong direction and many people are there. Maybe you're there tonight. You're holding on to paranoias or lies that you've heard in your head or fears or anxieties that are taking you away from God rather than taking you towards God like God's words will do. Jesus uses this phrase, O you of little faith. And he uses it here, but he also uses it in four other occasions in the Gospels. Here they are, Luke 12, 28. Don't, don't worry about your clothing. And he goes on and says, O you of little faith. Matthew 8, 26. People were worrying about drowning. That was when Jesus was asleep in the boat, remember? And they were, all the disciples were worrying about drowning because of the fierceness of the waves and the storm. And Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. In Matthew 14, 31, Peter was worrying about drowning because he was walking on water and he started sinking. And Jesus said to him, oh, you have little faith. Matthew 16, verse 8, they were worrying about food they could eat. And Jesus replied, oh, you have little faith. Each time, oh, you have little faith is used in the Gospels, every time is to do with these three issues. Clothing, a Foods and safety. You know, you're, the duration of your life. People think they're going to drown. And Jesus is saying that the, the antidote to worry is faith. Each time you have little faith is addressed to disciples. Oh, you have little faith. When Jesus says, oh, you have little faith, he isn't saying it to Richard Dawkins, okay? He's saying it to disciples. On each of those occasions... Jesus speaking to disciples says, oh, you have little faith. If he was speaking to unbelievers, he would say, oh, you have no faith. He doesn't say that. He says, oh, you have little faith. And the point is this, disciples, 
Disciples are those who trust him for eternal life. And yet you can't even trust him for this life. Jesus is saying, that's little faith. You got to the point, you call yourself a disciple, you're saying you trust him for your eternal well-being, but you can't even trust him for your temporal well-being. You can't even trust him in this life. You can trust him for your eternal life, but you can't trust him for your love life. You can, class, you can trust him to wipe away all your sins, but can you trust him to wipe away all your debts? He cleared your moral debt on the cross, but can you trust him to clear your credit card debt? You trust him, you know, you, th- you trust him for this eternal dwelling. Can you trust him to provide you with a house in this life? Jesus is saying, oh, you have little faith. You say you believe me eternally, but you worry about the things in this life. That's not how it should be. The same God who can meet your eternal needs, it's not like, oh, yeah, I, oh, man, I can deal with uh, saving you eternally from hell, but I'm really battling covering your bills this month. No, that's really hard. You got me there. It's a real hard one. No, no, you little faith. Come on, he's God's. If he can deal with your eternal issues, if he, if he went to the extent of, paying for your sin on the cross, dealing with the ultimate issues in his death and resurrection, if he can deal with that, then he has no problem at all dealing with the puny little issues of our life. And Jesus is saying, therefore do not worry, O you of little faith. He goes on and says in verse 31 to 32, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Jesus is saying, you know, if you worry about those things, you're acting like a pagan. That wasn't a compliment. Okay? Pagans are people who worship wrong gods, false gods. And pagan gods, especially in Jesus' time, and, and certainly in various parts of the world today, pagan gods are not gods that inspire warm, gooey feelings and trust and love. They're typically harsh, fickle, judgmental, immovable gods. They're gods that constantly need appeased, gods that easily get angry, gods that have mood swings. That's the gods of the pagan world. And he says, listen, if you're not able, even able to trust me for the basics in life, you're, you're responding like a pagan would to uh, an ungenerous deity. But when you understand the true gods, you're not going to worry about those things. God wants you to be like a child of the king, not like the devil's beggars. You know, my kids don't worry, go around my house worrying, are we going to have food today? My kids don't worry about that. To be honest, I don't think they give it even a second thought. They usually say, when's foods? They they don't think, oh, are we going to eat today? Or is dad going to provide my needs this week? They're not going to, no, no. They don't worry about that. Why don't they worry? Because they know me. They know I've got them covered. They know I'd do everything I could to make sure they're covered. Now, that's me. I'm generous, but I'm nowhere near as generous as God. I'm pretty consistent, but compared to God's consistency, I'm nothing. I'm kind of, I'm faithful, but God's really faithful. He's so generous, so consistent, so loving, so faithful, makes me pale into insignificant, or the best dad among us pale into insignificance. And therefore, his kids should feel ultimate security before God. Romans 8, 31 to 32. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not with him also freely 
give us all things. If the extent God went to was to hand Jesus over to death to save us from our sins, and he rose again, then you can rest assured he will freely supply all things. He's not holding back. He is off the fence. God is for you. Say, God is for me. Turn to your neighbor, give them a high five and say, God is for you. Go for it. Back to the verses. Verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Therefore I tell you. So when you see a therefore, you've got to look at what it's there for. Okay? It kind of points back to something. Therefore is a, is a linking word, isn't it? Therefore, do not worry. Well, why do not worry? Well, it's just what, it's, it's in light of what he's just said. So what had he just said? What's the there for? <laughs> he's just said three things. He's just in the verses before, if you were here the week before, if you've read the chapter, he said there are two treasures. You either are someone who's building your life all about earth and your treasures on earth, or you're building your life with eternal perspectives and your treasures in heaven. Okay, and then he said there's two perspectives, the good eye and the bad eye. The bad eye people, they're the people who are, it's all about me and take. And the generous eyed people, Jesus said, they're the people who are generous and being a blessing and loving people. And then he said there's two masters. And he says, either God is your master, either you love God and serve God and you use money, or money's your master and you use God. It's one or other. So Jesus is saying, if, if God is your treasure, if it, you are living with an eternal perspective and a, and a generous eye towards other people, and if God is your master, therefore, do not worry. That's the point he's making. He's saying, in the light of those, it's a set, God provides provision covering all your needs for a certain type of person. A person who God is their master, who they have a generous eye and their treasures in heaven. God says, you don't need to worry about a thing. I have got your back covered. A person like that. I remember, you know, the verses later on say, seek first the kingdom of God. For me, in 1998, seeking first the kingdom of God looked like moving from Glasgow to Edinburgh and taking a job in an architect's office with the purpose of planting this church. Seeking first God's kingdom, that's what it looked like. And, you know, I remember I came across, it was on the back of the 1990s recession, there were not many architects' jobs going. Certainly in the good firms in the city, there were not many opportunities. I'd done my four-year degree, I'd, I was ready for a job in an architect's office, and, and I was looking, I put my CV out, and I got the standard reply, along with the hundreds of others who were applying for the very few posts that were available. Yeah, we've got your CV on record, when there's a post, we'll let you know. That was really not very much hope. So only one day I had my suit and my port architect's portfolio and I randomly turned up on the doorstep of Reak and Hall Architects, one of the big firms in the city here. And I just, I knew the name of the managing director. So I asked the receptionist, can I speak to Tom Bostock, please? And the managing director said, sure, who will I say is here? And I said, my name's Peter Anderson. And so she phoned through and said, hi, Peter Anderson's here to see you. And Pete, now, I didn't know this. But Peter Anderson's also the name of a famous lawyer in Edinburgh <laughs> and who actually worked as a consultant for the Royal Institute of Architects in Scotland, for the RIAS. 
So when Tom Bostick heard that Peter Anderson's here to see him, he knows him. And he thought, why is he come to see him? So he kind of straightens up his tie, gets himself all ready. And he comes walking into reception expecting the Peter Anderson. And it was the Peter Anderson. It was just a different the Peter Anderson. <laughs> and so he walks in. And he, oh, who are you? I said, I'm, I'm looking for a job. I said, okay, I'll give you 10 minutes. So I got my portfolio. And I, I didn't know any of the backstory. I found out afterwards that he thought I was someone different. And he, he, I'll give you 10 minutes. The 10 minutes became an hour. And I got a job. And, it, 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 I, and I just say, God, that was amazing. You provided me with a job. Do not worry. Do not worry. And here's why I didn't need to worry. Because I wasn't moving to Edinburgh for me. I, was, I had already been offered a job, a well-paid job in Strathclyde University in the architect's department that paid three times more than I got paid when I moved to Edinburgh. If I was looking for money, if I was looking for a job, I should have stayed in Glasgow. But I was seeking first God's kingdom. God had my heart. He was my master. My treasure was in heaven. I was trying to live with a generous outlook. That's why I moved to Edinburgh. And guess what God does? To people like that, God covers it. He provides for you in ways that you can never imagine. And I remember walking out from that job interview thinking, God, I've just got a job. I just got a job against all the odds. You just got me a job. Thanks for that name. I just got a job. And then I remember, and this is the biggest thought in my mind then, because my mom had died two years before that. And I was concerned for my dad. My next instant concern was, but God, what about dad? Dad's going to be left by himself in Glasgow. If I, if I move through to Edinburgh, dad's going to be left by himself. I can't abandon him, I can't abandon him in Glasgow. <laughs> you know, Glasgow. And I, and I heard God say to me so clearly, he said, Peter, take the job. I've got your dad covered. Trust me. You do not need to worry about your dad. And that gave me such a peace. Anyway, a couple of months after that, I'd moved through to Edinburgh, taken the job. A couple of months after that, I was chatting to dad, and dad was saying, Peter, do you know what? I've never needed a diary. I've had to buy myself a diary. I've got so many social appointments. People keep asking me out to meals, and I'm at parties, and dad's like in his 70s, and he was, his social life went through the roof. He's 89 now, and he's, he's, he's just been, his life is full, so full and so enriched. And I just look, and I say, that was God. God told me. God said, I've got it covered. And you see, when your treasure's in heaven, and when God's got your heart, and when he's your master, and you're not about you, you're just living for the purpose of God, you don't need to worry about it. Honestly, you really do not need to worry about a thing. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 29 to 30, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left homes or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will receive, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age Say this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers. You have dozens of mothers. Children, fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. It's an amazing verse. Jesus is saying, you make it your business to serve God's purpose. You might give up certain things. You might not choose the easy options. You're going to face persecutions, but here's the thing. Everything you give up, you're going to get a hundred times back. And I'm not just talking about in heaven. Jesus said it. Jesus said, he's going to prosper you. He's going to bless you. And here's the deal. You're not even bothered about being prospered because you're not about that. You're about God. And yet, that's the very kind of person that God can trust with prosperity because it won't go to your heart because he's already got your heart. That's what we mean by biblical prosperity, incidentally. Blessed to be a blessing. You're living for God. God's got you covered. Not just basics.
he's talking about a hundred brothers and a hundred kids. See that? And 100 fields. That's not just the basics. That's more than you need. Because if I reckon he reckons you will then be a blessing to others. Isn't that amazing? You see, when you're living in God's will, God's will, God's bill. Where God guides, God provides. You want to get under the spout where the glory comes out. I don't know how else I can say this, folks. I want you to get it, okay? If you can align yourself with the will of God, this might not translate into Italian, some of these things, but they're jokes. If you can align yourself with the will of God, he's got your back covered, rest assured. You suddenly realize what I was saying. Oh, that's what he's talking about. Verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Say it with me. One, two, three. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. God is saying, don't be preoccupied by survival, meeting your own needs. You're not a bird looking for worms. You're not like a flower looking pretty and smelling. You've been created in the image of God. You have a noble purpose to achieve. No bird has a place prepared for it in heaven. No bird is a joint heir with Christ. No bird was created in the image of God. Jesus died, didn't die for any birds. No bird has the ability to be full of the Holy Spirit and see miracles. Animals focus on surviving, getting by, reproducing, getting food, getting shelter, survive. Human beings build cities, create infrastructure, harness natural resources, paint pictures, write poems and songs and books. Human beings are creative and develop new technologies and dream and make a difference. Why? Because we've been created distinct, created in the image of God. Some people think they're very spiritual and very humble by saying, "Mm, I just want food and drink and I'll be content. Sounds very spiritual, but it's actually animalistic. You were not created just to take over and have the basics in life. God created you to actually make a difference. So get past focusing on just meeting your needs and taking over. God wants you to live on mission. God wants you to dream big dreams, God-glorifying dreams on the purpose of God for your life. Give me an amen if you agree. So don't worry, Jesus says. Second point, have faith. Trust God. Third point, be generous. Jesus says in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. I remember I said a moment ago, when there's a therefore, you've got to look at what it's there for. What's the context? What's Jesus saying? So Jesus has just said a whole pile of stuff and then he goes on and says, therefore don't worry. So before he talked about the two treasuries and the two visions and the two masters, He said some other things. He said, remember the early part of the chapter? He says, when you pray, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites who just do it for a show. Don't be like that. And then he goes on and says, and when you give, don't do it like the hypocrites. Do it with a genuine heart. Do it for the glory of God. Do it for the benefit of others. He he, he talked about when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. So if you're someone who prays, gives, and fasts, Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, you don't need to worry. 
The point is this. To givers, God says, you don't need to worry. I will provide everything you need. God gives to givers. God provides for providers. That's not just here, that's right through the Bible. You know, famous verse, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Do you know the context of that verse? It sits in a bigger picture. Let's look at the context. Philippians 4.16. Paul says, you sent me aid more than once. When I was in need, I have received full payment and have been more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul was saying, guys in the church at Philippi, you're amazing. I was going through a hard time. I was doing ministry. The money resource ran dry. You guys at the right time, inspired by God, dug deep and gave. It's enabled the ministry to continue. We're really impacting some new territories. It's amazing. God used you as the miracle to provide for me. I was praying for God's provision and you were God's answer to me. Thank you so much. And by the way, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches. In other words, God, that great promise of God's provision is actually focused on people when you pray, when you fast, when you give. These are people who are living in the rhythms of grace. They're living a generous-hearted lifestyle. God gives to givers. God provides for providers. When was the first time in the Bible that God revealed himself as a provider? It's the famous one. Abraham, speaking about God in Genesis 22, says, Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. God's great name, Jehovah Jireh, that was revealed in Genesis. And do you know what the context was? If you read the verses just before it, Abraham had just given like he'd never given before. He made the, one of the biggest sacrifices. He was literally willing to give up Isaac. And it's in that context that God was revealed as the one who provides. Isn't that interesting? God gives to givers. It was in 1 Kings chapter 17 when the, the, the widow who was in a famine and had no food and Elijah came to her house and Elijah said, make me some food. And she gave to the man of God. And the Bible says that the flour didn't run dry and neither did the oil. God gave to a giver. That's how it works, right through the Bible. Why is giving, you giving, linked to you receiving? Why is that? I think the answer is trust. I think when you give or when I give to God, what we're saying is, God, we trust you. We trust you, so therefore we give to you. We trust you as a generous, faithful God. We're trusting you. It's an expression, our giving is an expression of our trust and faith in God, yeah? But did you know I think it goes the other way around? I think that's our giving, but also our receiving is an expression of God's trust in us. I think God sees us and says, I trust you. Because I see you are reflecting my generosity. Therefore, I can trust you with more because it won't go to your head. I can trust you with more because you're, it's not about you. You're living for a bigger purpose. I think that's why God, I think God can trust us. Just 
But that's why he gives to us and we can trust him. That's why we give to him. And do you know, we have so many testimonies of God's provision. Many of you in this room have. I, I, I've got so many in, in my head, in my life. One of the ones that stands out most for me was years ago. Some of you may have heard this story. Um, we had my first car, a little Ford Fiesta. It was time to change the car. And me and Ange discussed it. And we thought, actually, instead of trading it in to get some money back for the next car, I think we should just bless someone with it. So we gave it away to a friend who needed a car. And it was a joy to give that. We didn't give to get anything. We just give because we wanted to be a blessing. Anyway, within that month, within that month, we were given a card. This is after we'd given that away. We were given a card by someone who didn't know that we had done that. And on the front of the card, I had a picture of a car. And inside the card, it had a, a check for £9,000. And it says, get yourself a car. <laughs> I thought, wow, wow. Now, I didn't say, okay, God, I'm going to give this fiesta. <laughs> now, Lord, come on. I'm looking for what? That'd be very warped. I don't believe in that. But I do believe in being generous. And I do believe that he is generous. And I do believe that he is generous to the generous. And I do believe that he is a provider for the providers. And I believe that he's a giver to givers. And do you know, our life has been a testimony of one story after another. I've got I mean, it's a silly little story. Uh, no, it's an awesome story. And you may have heard me say this again, but it's just, I'm blown away by it. And I'll, I'll just share it with you. I, and I'm not saying these things to say, hey, look at me. I'm not saying that at all. Not in the slightest. Uh, I'm just simply saying it maybe to encourage you and inspire you and illustrate the point. I remember I was probably 18, 19 years old. Uh, at the time, Timberlands were kind of the fashion. You remember those days? Oh, yeah, they were good days. Uh, and, you know, the problem is I still wear them. So we're, here we are years later. We're still behind now. And I'd, I'd saved up to get, I'd done some jobs, some, some, some work, and I'd saved up and got myself a pair of Timberlands. And I was so chuffed with these new Timberlands. And, because uh, they're not cheap, they're kind of 100, 100 pounds or something. And I was sitting at church that Sunday, and I was sitting beside a homeless guy. And I was sitting there, and it was a moment where we were all praying, and my eyes, I looked down, I looked at his shoes, and man, they were really rough. They literally had holes in them and the, and the sole was hanging off. They were a real mess. They kind of brogues falling apart. And I just felt, I've got to give him a Timberlands. I thought, no, I've got to give him a Timberlands. Just about, oh. So I had this argument. You know it's the Lord when you're arguing back. <laughs> okay, so I said to the guy, hey mate, would you like my shoes? I don't think anyone ever said that to him before. I said, are you serious? I said, yeah, of course. Do you want my shoes? So he swapped shoes. And he said, you have mine. I said, oh, thanks. <laughs> I actually walked, I walked back to the car in my socks. I put them in the bin. They were so, oh, they were so bad. Um, anyway, my testimony is, you have no idea how many pairs of Timbaland boots and moccasins I've been given over the years. It's uncanny. It's the weirdest thing. Honestly, you open my cupboard. <laughs> no, I'm exaggerating now. But I reckon a dozen, a dozen pair of Timberland boots and moccasins I've been given over the years, randomly. That's crazy. And yet, actually, I think that's God. I think that's God. I mean, do I need Timberland boots? I don't. But does it bless me to think that God saw that, that I, I, had, I actually did something in the Lord and something happened and God saw that? 
I think that's awesome. Give to get. Some people do that. Some, some Christian circles, this teaching, these verses that we're using, some people become a bit warped in this and they start teaching things like, so if you give, you give to get. And that's warped. You don't give to get. You give because it's your opportunity to be like your generous father. Why did God create giving? I think he created giving because there's nothing like giving to deal with the selfishness in our heart. There's nothing like giving to to, to uproot selfishness and greediness from our souls. And I think God loves that. I don't think think God created giving because he he had a need. I think, man, I'm struggling to afford things up here. You know, the light bill is pretty hefty. I don't think God was giving, asking for our giving because oh, he's in a place of need. I don't think so. I don't think he needs anything. But I think he created giving because it changes our souls and it makes us like him. So the idea, actually, if you think, if, in the light of that, if the idea of you give to get, that is such a warped concept because that actually, instead of, because understanding generosity uproots selfishness from us. But that whole give to get thing embeds greediness and that is not anything to do with God now here's the thing you don't give to get but if you give you will get and there's a difference you don't give to get you give because that's worship to God and love for other people but when you give you will get the Bible's very very clear in that but you don't give to get it's like the family business he's the provider and we as children get to be providers as well Let's go back to the verse, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Therefore. Remember when there's a therefore, you've got to look at what it's there for. Yeah. So what did Jesus say before that? What was the context? He said, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. Now, who were the audience that were listening to Jesus? Who were they? They were the Jewish people. So what would they be hearing when Jesus was saying those things? When you pray. Here's what they'd have heard. Jews pray three times a day. So Jesus is now giving them instruction on here's what you do when you pray. And think, okay, wow, that's how I'm going to pray these three times a day now. And then when he says, and when you fast, how would the Jews have understood that? Here's exactly what they'd have thought. We know that at certain points in the year at Jewish festivals, we take time to fast and seek God. And Jesus is now giving us instruction that we will be able to bring into this pattern. And we will, wow, that enriches our fasting. And then when he said, and when you give, he's exactly what a Jewish person would have been thinking. In a Jewish mind, there are three ways of giving. Tithes, offerings, and almsgiving. Almsgiving is to the poor. Tithes is to the house of God. In the, Jews, in, in the Old Testament, Israel, that was the temple. In the New Testament, we are the temple. It is the church of Jesus Christ, the tithe goes to. Offerings and almsgiving. Some people say, oh, okay, tithes, that's from a previous era. Tithing is Old Testament law. Tithing isn't for our New Testament era. That's, it's irrelevant. I mean, so we're not under the law. I get that. I believe that. But the question is, is tithing still relevant? So I would ask you, um, is stealing appropriate? No, but we're not under the law anymore. So, so I know the law said you can't steal, but so we're not under the law, praise the Lord, so we can just go ahead and steal now? Can we give me an answer, someone? No. Yes or no? no? That's right, you're all you're like New Testament scholars, you folks. Yes, yeah, right, it's not right to steal, even though that was part of there was a Ten Commandment, thou shalt not steal. We still know 
it's still wrong to steal. Committing adultery, okay? That was in the law. Should we now, okay, we're not under the law anymore. Can we just go ahead and, you know, easy tiger? No, you can't do that. You know that's a sin, okay? And why do you know it's a sin? You know it's a sin because committing adultery and stealing, yes, they were in the law, but they were wrong hundreds of years before the law ever came about anyway, right? In other words, they were wrong before the law, they were wrong during the law, and they're wrong subsequent to the law. Tithing, it is in the Jewish law, absolutely. But did you know that tithing existed and was taught and was practiced hundreds of years before the law ever came into being? So just like stealing and just like adultery was wrong during the law and before the law for hundreds of years before, so too tithing was very right during the law and hundreds of years before and 2,000 years afterwards. Tithing is a principle. Abraham practiced the principle. Abraham is set up for us as a model of the life of faith. Abraham practiced tithing. Jesus said tithing is something you should do while not neglecting other matters. In Hebrews, it says that Jesus receives our tithe. Tithing is an awesome thing. Tithing is a godly thing. It's a biblical thing. It means taking 10% of what you get and giving it back to God. And there's nothing that it reinforces that heaven is your treasure, that you have a generous eye, and that God is your master. Nothing reinforces that like giving a tithe. It just tames that animal and keeps it under the thumb, makes it your servant. Money is my servant. God is my master. And the way I keep it my servant is I make sure the first tenth goes to God before anything else gets paid for in my life. That's what I do. Okay, there was a, there was a guy in, in an airport, and he really fancied a coffee and some donuts. And so he, he bought a bag of donuts and had a coffee, and he looked around, and all the seats were taken, but there was a table where there's another guy sitting there, so he just went and joined the guy at the table. So he starts sipping his coffee, and then he reached into the bag of donuts and took out a donut and had a donut. And then the guy opposite him, he didn't know this guy, reached into the bag and took out a donut, and he ate the donut as well. <laughs> and he's sitting thinking, this guy, is there something wrong with this guy? <laughs> so anyway, he, he pulls the bag a bit closer to him this time and takes the donut. The guy across the other side of the table reaches right across into the bag, takes out a donut, smiles, starts eating the donut. The guy's just thinking, man, this is nuts. Anyway, the guy across from him puts his jacket on. It's about time to go now, so he, and he gets his bag. But before he leaves, there's one more donut. He reaches into the bag, gets the donut, bites half of it, puts the other half down for him, and waves and leaves. And the guy's sitting there thinking, you're a donut thief. I'm not eating the other half of, of a donut thief's eaten, half-eaten donut. And then he looked at the time and he realized, ah, oh, it's time for me to get my flight. So he puts his coat on, reached down to get his bag, and as he reached down to get his bag, there is his bag of donuts. <laughs> and he suddenly realized he thought he was stealing, but actually he was sharing now, God's the one who has all the donuts. And every week, God gives you 10 donuts in a bag. And he says, they're all mine, but now I give them to you. All I ask is give the first one to your local church, the house of God, wherever that is. And that's what it means to tithe. And if you can't hold on to it, no, they're mine, God. 
No, they're really not. Actually, everything we've got is from God. And I'm just saying to you, I'm not asking you to do something that I myself am not willing to do. I live by this principle. I love this principle. Every time, every time my paycheck comes in, my tithe goes out. In fact, I've got it set up. See, when the offering bag comes around in church and you never see the pastor putting anything in, it's not because the pastor doesn't give. Just to be really clear on that, it's just because the pastor never carries anything in his pockets, okay? I've set up my tithes, my offerings, and my almsgiving uh, by standing order. We also kind of do spontaneous stuff over and above that, but I don't want to make sure, I, I, I want to make sure I don't miss it, so that's why I've set it up as a standing order, and, and the church can benefit from gift aid as well. So I love tithing, I absolutely love it. And not just the income, but whenever, like, I was given a few hundred pounds recently for speaking at a special event, that's not my salary, but it was, a, it, was a, it was an honorarium. So, wow, I get to tithe, so I went online and sent a tithe. Or I get, you get Christmas money, or something like that comes in, or you get a bit of an inheritance, just give a tithe. I love it. I love that thing. Because why? Because I absolutely love God and I love the house of God. I really believe in the house of God. And since I was 15, when I got saved, just after I was saved, I started understanding this principle of tithing. And in those days, it was 10, 15 pounds a week that I got as a 15-year-old. I just, I looked forward to giving the pounds of the one pound 50 at church on the Sunday. I, I couldn't wait. And then I also used an offering to support the Bible Society. There was a monthly appeal for sending Bibles to various parts of the world where the persecuted church was. And then also God started challenging me and giving alms to the poor. And here's the thing. At the end of it, you're left with seven donuts, eight donuts. But I can assure you, seven or eight donuts are well enough. They really are. You think, man, how can you live on 70 or 80% or, or 85% or whatever's left? How can you live on that? And here's the deal. If you make sure the tithe is the first thing that goes out, you read the number of promises that God says about the way he will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out such a blessing so there'll not be room enough to contain it. I tell you what, that 80% or that 70% or whatever you're left with will go miraculously way beyond what you ever imagined. The provision of God in your life, and that has been me and Angie's testimony, and we're so grateful to God. And I don't, want to just, I, don't, I don't want to just live by these faith principles and not share them. I want you guys to understand these principles. Why? Because I want us to be a radically generous church that takes God seriously, that God has our heart, and therefore God has our money, and that our generosity will flow and it will bring blessing to the precious people in our city, to the other churches, to the people. And do you know what? The church also practices what we're talking about here. The church gives away everything that comes in. It gives away 10% of everything to missions. And on top of that, we give away typically 5 or 6 or 7%. So typically 15, 16, 17% is given away from all the church's income every year, which last year was about £80,000, was given away to missions and to helping the poor and orphans internationally and locally. I love that we're like this. And may it be as a church we can increase that amount over the years. May it, be that we, may it be that we're so blessed and so prosperous in the right sense that we can just be a river of givers and we can get to the point where we're giving away huge amounts and making such a difference for the glory of God, alleviating poverty and bringing the gospel to precious people who need it. Give me an amen if you agree. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. You said, do not worry about your life. But you said it to givers. You said it to people who were generous. You provide for providers, you give to givers. And I thank you so much, God, that you're like that. And God, we want to be like you, Jesus. We want to be generous. We want to be, and Jesus, there is no one more generous than you. You laid down your life for the world. And I pray that we will have that same spirit of self-sacrifice 
and that we will live for the glory of God and the benefit of others, not for the self, not for our own agendas. God, thank you so much. And Jesus, thank you. You said, do not worry about your life. Very simply because eternity has already been dealt with. Eternal uncertainties have been dealt with because of Jesus' death on the cross. And therefore you say, well, in the light of that, there's really, really nothing you need to worry about in this life. Oh, will I get married? I've got it covered. Will I be able to get that job? He's got it covered. Don't worry about those things. Worry about being in the will of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be added to you. So just in his presence, take a moment to respond. Are you in the will of God? Are you seeking first his kingdom? Why not respond to him just now? If God has spoken to you in any of these verses, make some decisions in his presence. we're praying it might be this evening that maybe a few of you, one or two of you haven't yet really put your trust in Jesus he died for you he died to save you he died because he loves you and he rose again and he is alive right now and through Jesus there is forgiveness through Jesus there is eternal life And through Jesus, you can know God. The very relationship you were born for, you can have that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So this evening, if if you're not there yet, if you've not yet connected with God, or maybe maybe at some point in your past, you kind of walked with Him, but you've walked away from Him. Well, this evening, why not tonight come to Him? Put your faith in Him. Place your life in His hands. that's you this evening let me help you do that and here's what I'm going to do I'm going to lead you in a prayer and if that's you and you're saying Peter I want to connect with God I want to put my trust in Jesus then you pray this prayer with me just now one line at a time just under your breath this is your prayer to God pray dear Lord God thank you so much for your love for me Jesus thank you for being willing to die in my place on the cross I believe you died to forgive me, to take away all my sin. And so that I can be reconciled to God. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. I believe you're alive right now. And this evening, I make a decision. I completely put my faith in you. Be my saviour. Here's my life. Jesus, be my master. Take first place. Be Lord of my life.
from this day forward. Thank you for hearing my prayer and accepting me as your child. Thanks, God. If you prayed that prayer, God has just heard you and something great has just taken place. If that's you this evening and you prayed that prayer and that was the decision you made tonight, I would like to pray for you. In order to know who I'm praying for, I just ask you to do a very simple thing. You just raise your hand and say, Peter, that's me tonight. Just while everyone else is praying, if tonight that's the decision you made and you're saying, tonight I trust Jesus as my saviour, then just raise your hand nice and clear so I can see it. And then put it down again. Is it anyone like that? Thank you. Is it anyone else? For a praise or anyone else. Thank you. Lord, thank you so much for these precious people who tonight in your presence have made a very simple and yet eternally significant decision. Right now, let them know your love. Let them know your acceptance. Let them know your love and blessing. And let this be the beginning of a new life in God. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.